Hey, it's Zachy. In this episode, we wanted to seek out a voice from the immigrant lone soldier community. We sat down with Bensi Sanders, American-Israeli immigrant, former lone soldier, and activist. We discussed how his perspective on Israel dramatically changed during his time here, culminating in his life as an activist today. You're listening to... Israel Underground. Many of us have heard many Anglo Aliyah stories, and they often sound very familiar. Young, Zionistic Jews from North America and Europe who grew up going to camp or participating in youth groups that celebrate life in Israel become inspired themselves. Sometimes they start with a year in Israel in between high school and college. Sometimes they come straight here with the purpose of staying. They join a program or move to a kibbutz and attend an olpan and learn Hebrew. They draft into the IDF and serve as lone soldiers, often in elite combat units or continuing on to be officers. This is a story that applies more or less to myself, my wife, many of our peers, and a lot of people our age in general. Inspired to be a part of what's happening in Israel, we change gears from life as we knew it and find ourselves saluting in the desert clad in olive green. Every person who has a story like this has an individual experience of it. Some have a difficult time in the army and some easier. Some find it extremely meaningful and some tiring or tedious. However, some stories stand out more than others in contrast to the mainstream. We often see a tendency to simplify stories about Israel, specifically regarding Aliyah and the army. As we often say, in such a diverse and complicated country, it's hard to give proper attention to nuance. But in generalizing these stories, we lose a lot of depth and understanding about what Israel is like for the people who sacrifice so much to come here and experience it firsthand. Today, we invited our friend Bensi Sanders to talk about his Israel journey. He made Aliyah, served in the military, studied in an Israeli university, married an Israeli, and continues to live and work here today. But we think his unique perspective in all of this will offer insight into the more complicated aspects of the classic Anglo-Aliyah story. Hello to you, Bensi Sanders. We are so excited to have you uh, here on the show today, uh, and we're really excited to, to speak with you about your experience. Um, first things first... Who are you, what do you do, and where are you from? Thank you, Zaki, for having me. Um, I am uh, Bensi Sanders. I live in Jerusalem, married to Alma. Um, originally from New York, from the Lower East Side. I've been living in Israel uh, since 2009, and I currently work as the diaspora coordinator, diaspora education coordinator uh, at Breaking the Silence. Okay, fantastic. So I, we're going to try and touch on uh, many of these points. I would say all, but you know, I think we'll leave your wedding uh, out of it for now. Uh, <laughs> but we are going to touch on most of these points. Uh, and let's, uh, let's do it in a chron chronological way. So start off by telling me just a little bit about how you got to Israel and why you came in the first place. Sure. Uh, so I came uh, at age 18 for the first time to Israel. Um, on a gap year uh, yeshiva program. I studied in a yeshiva called Yisodei Torah in Beit Shemesh. Um, and I came kind of along with the rest of my graduating class. Almost, I studied at Yeshiva University High School in New York. Um, basically, almost everyone went on these gap year yeshiva programs before, um, before college. Um, but I um, decided uh, within a few months of coming on this gap year program, that I wanted to stay in Israel. Um, I became during that year. I was I was studying a lot of a lot of Torah, um, going on on trips, seeing the country, and um, and I really really fell in love with Israel. And I wanted to to be part of what was going on. I saw a lot of um, 
religious and historical significance in the creation and the continuation of, uh, of Israel's existence. Um, and so I decided that I wanted to live here. And that's kind of uh, what sent me on my path. Okay. Interesting. So you're, you're in this GAP program, you're learning more about the, uh, the area and, and the country and its history. And so you, you decided to hang out basically. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about how were you at square one and how were you at the end of your gap year? Yeah. So square one, I was kind of like, I was like a little bit, uh, apathetic. I would say I wasn't entirely, um, you know, uninterested in Judaism and, and Torah. And I obviously agreed to study for a year, spend a year studying uh, Jewish texts and, and Torah. Uh, but I, uh, I kind of came because everyone else was going and my parents were happy to pay for it. So, so you know, I just kind of went along with it. But as time went on and as I, the, I found the rabbis and the content and the, uh, of, the, of the classes to be very engaging, much more so than my original my uh, experience at, at yeshiva day schools, um, and I really became enthralled. And it all really became really, really um, significant and meaningful for me. Um, and uh, within a few months, I'd already decided that I want to make aliyah, um, and uh, I knew that that meant serving in the in the, in the military, um, and I was excited to do that. Uh, I. I, I grew up, uh, you know, in the Boy Scouts, um, and uh, I was on the wrestling team, so I was very physically active growing up. And so I knew that if I was going to go into the military, uh, I wanted to try to get into as elite of a combat unit as I could. Um, so that's kind of my transition. I, I actually spent three years in yeshiva. By the end of those three years, I had kind of transformed from like a kind of a New York uh, a jaded modern Orthodox um high school graduate into um, kind of a, I guess, a seasoned yeshiva student who already spoke Hebrew pretty well and was really excited and had been training and uh, was ready to, to serve in the IDF. Fantastic. So we're definitely going to touch on the IDF uh, very, very shortly, but I wanted to uh, circle back and, and kind of ask what, first of all, what rank were you in the Scouts? Because, you know, I was uh, in the Scouts myself, uh, <laughs> tenderfoot, for all three years that I was there. I actually made it to Eagle Scout. Uh, ah. I, stuck, I, stuck, I stuck it out. I, I, I stayed until from 13 to 18. Uh, so I wanted to, I wanted to ask, uh, kind of leading into your coming to Yeshiva, what was your, I guess, your upbringing? What was the narrative toward Israel in that time before you came to Israel? I actually, I was never super engaged or it wasn't like really at the, at the top of my radar. I would go every year to the Israel Day Parade, but I guess, I guess I, I was very impacted at a young age at, at you know, in fifth grade, uh, 9-11 happened. You know, I live very close to the uh, World Trade Center in downtown Manhattan. Um, and I really kind of got swept up in what was uh, uh, really common at the time but like the sense of patriotism and of being under attack and then the world, the war on terror. Uh, these are things that, you know, through elementary school and, and, and into high school, I, I would follow uh, the news on all these topics. And I think I kind of adopted this kind of, I would say maybe what I would now describe as almost Islamophobic um, attitude towards the Muslim world and, uh, and uh, them being responsible for terrorism. And I think I probably just integrated Israel into that general worldview and narrative that Israel was this um, Western country, uh, Jewish country, and it was also 
dealing with the same threats of terrorism uh, that the U.S. Uh, and that you know I had experienced at home. And um, but but I didn't really know much details and specifics about about what was going on in Israel. So so you came to Israel kind of with this uh, perspective of as you, as you said almost Islamophobia uh, kind of uh, approach, and then you spent these three years in yeshiva, and from there uh, you've kind of developed a little bit going into uh, the military. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I was training. I was excited to, to be able to try out for a special forces unit, and I was working on my Hebrew. Um, yeah. Okay. So tell, tell me a little bit more about your service. How did that go? I think initially there was a little bit of a, just a culture shock. There was a little bit of also like being beyond the Israeli uh, environment. Also, it was a very secular most of the soldiers in Maine were secular, uh, which was something that I was not used to or familiar with uh, so much. So, um, but you know, the training was very demanding um, physically, um, psychologically. As time went on, I wasn't constantly engaged in uh, uh, ideologically re- reinforcing my my decision. Like I wasn't in yeshiva as I was studying Jewish texts and and re- you know religious Zionist um, outlook. Um, and kind of reinforcing my decision constantly to to move to Israel. So I think um, you know it was like I was engaged in in what I believed in, like training uh, and training for war. Uh, you know I was in in, in my uh, reconnaissance uh, unit. We trained. We did a lot of advanced navigation trainings. We learned how to infiltrate uh, behind enemy lines undetected and to direct fire at enemy targets. Um, and, uh, it was, it was exciting. Um, uh, we had 14 months of training and after which, uh, we were deployed to, to the West Bank. Once I finished my training and I was considered a, a lochem or a, a, a fully, fully trained, uh, combat soldier, um, you know, that was like a real, that's a real like milestone in my service, uh, and transition afterwards was really like a kind of a, a shift. Um, in in being de- being deployed on 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 uh, in the West Bank in, in the Shomron, we were first sent was uh, uh, what's called a routine security deployment, batash bitachon shotef in Hebrew. I remember finding myself um, on a mountain called uh, Mount Eval, which is one of the tallest mountains in the Shomron, looking down at the Palestinian city of uh, Nablus uh, or Shechem in Hebrew. And thinking, wow, this is this is beautiful. This is this big, this this biblical uh, setting. Uh, these beautiful views, very crisp air, um, and uh, kind of greenery. Um, and I kind of envisioned myself, I, you know, as as a Boy Scout, like enjoying, exploring, and hiking in this area, really appreciating it, and also not having all the the constant stress of, of training. But I realized also uh, what I was what I was actually being asked to do. Um, in, in this on this particular mountain was uh, there was an army base at the top of the mountain, kind of sprawling Palestinian city in the valley beneath it, um, and I was asked to prevent Palestinians from from climbing up the mountain. And I realized also on the other side of the mountain, and uh, there's a settlement called the Har Bracha, uh, and uh, also around that settlement, uh, Palestinians aren't allowed to cross what's uh, what's called these uh, red lines, which uh, which encircle um, every every settlement uh, throughout the the West, the West Bank um, are these these areas that can be up to a kilometer kind of radius from the outer from the edge of the of the settlement where Palestinians aren't allowed to to um, to cross and if if they cross this point 
the IDF uh, soldiers, like like I was at the time, are sent to remove them from the, from those areas. In in one of the settlements I was stationed at, uh, a few months later, um, actually was once uh, assigned to be on the rapid response team, and we got a call from the uh, actually a civilian uh, command room uh, who were uh, monitoring a camera and saw Palestinians, uh, two Palestinians cross the the red line threshold um, that was in between the, the settlement Kadumim that I was in and the, the Palestinian village of Kadum. I was sent to um, to remove them uh, and send them back into their village. Um, and I remember uh, rushing there uh, with my full combat uh, gear on and um, running through these olive trees, this olive grove, and, and, and finding this uh, uh, Palestinian uh, man and woman um, uh, picking some leaves and filling up a bag with leaves. Uh, and um, remember kind of some somewhat uh, relief that it wasn't, it didn't appear to be uh, an imminent threat, but then being told on the radio, you have to, you have to kick them out. It doesn't matter who they are. They're beyond the red line. And I remember having to, to tell this uh, middle-aged couple, look them in the eye, um, you know, and tell them you have to get back back farther towards your village, otherwise we'll arrest you. That experience and, and um, many other kind of day-to-day -day experiences that, that I had during those um, months and months that I was deployed in the West Bank, um, you know, in this, in this reality where there are Israeli citizens living in, in, in uh, settlements side by side with Palestinians who are living in, in Palestinian villages and cities uh, who aren't Israeli citizens, um, that day-to-day interaction and and the and the military uh practices that i was given and and carried out really kind of began to undermine a little bit of my my confidence and and, and faith in in what i was doing uh ultimately uh after over over six months of, of being deployed uh in the west bank i was sent also in the summer of 2014 to the gaza strip um as things escalated uh following the, the kidnappings um, of the three boys. And um, overall, these experiences were very uh, personally, uh, were, were kind of uh, traumatic and, and, and shocking, um, but they had the effect of, of some disillusionment, this kind of faith I had in Israel and, and Israel being this redemptive process. Um, and suddenly I found myself doing things that I wasn't really uh, didn't, didn't really have an easy time justifying or making sense out of. So that's, that's, uh, that's really strong stuff uh, and good stuff. So tell me, you had all of these experiences and, and they're kind of, uh, I guess, chipping away at this initial understanding of Israel and understanding of, I guess, the world in terms of the conflict. Um, and so by the end of your military service, where were you in terms of Zionism, in terms of patriotism? I, I, I took this, this photograph. I can, I can send it to you, uh, actually. Um, uh, very early on in my deployment in the West Bank in uh, the settlement called Shabbat Shomron, I remember it was, one, it was, it was early, early morning, like dawn, um, and the sun was just coming up and it was still a little bit dark. Uh, but you could see these kind of like, uh, very fine mist kind of uh, in between the hilltops. Uh, and um, I remember looking out and seeing uh, on the barbed wire around the, around the settlement, there was an Israeli flag, which was caught in the, in the barbs. 
um, and it was tattered and it was kind of blowing in the wind. I took a picture of it. And I remember thinking uh, at the time that like, I felt like that, that image really kind of embodied the way I felt about what I was being asked to do. Like this symbol of, of Zionism was being tattered um, in, in the reality of, of the occupied territories. Uh, I was being sent on, on, on patrol missions uh, to, um, to make my presence felt and to remind the Palestinians uh, who's boss and to just stop, you know, we would set up these things called flying checkpoints uh, on some of the roads where we would just stop cars and at random hours uh, and, and just check, check people's IDs um, uh, for the express, express purpose, not of looking for anyone, but rather of, of making our presence felt on the Palestinian uh, population. Um, and, and that's kind of really what I, what I felt. I felt was, you know, I didn't, I felt still, you know, like I hadn't uh, lost kind of my initial motivation and, and identification with Israel, but um, I kind of felt like Israel was losing its way um, in, in what it was doing and what I was being asked to do. Okay, wow. So you finished up with the army, and my understanding is that you, you took to activism after this. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, where you went with that? Uh, what what forms of activism kind of uh, called to you and, and where you went from there? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I finished my service in 2015 um, and um, I didn't immediately get involved in, in activism. It took me some time to kind of decompress. I signed up for uh, a degree in at Bar-Ilan University in uh, Middle Eastern Studies and Philosophy, which in some ways um, were 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 areas of study which kind of was was an attempt kind of to kind of make sense of, of what I had experienced in the IDF. And in my last year at, at Bar-Ilan University, um, I had I kind of um, had become more and more educated and more and more kind of uh, committed to to uh, to fighting the occupation. Before the, my, my final year started, uh, I just kind of posted on, on one of the Bar-Ilan Facebook groups, like, is anyone interested in uh, Emeritus student group on campus. Uh, Bar Ilan uh, University is, is a little bit more affiliated with uh, right wing um, uh, religious Zionist um, kind of politics. Um, and there was no merits party. And at the time, I, uh, I hadn't been super involved in, in party politics in Israel, but I realized that merits was probably the party that was most closely aligned with, with my values, uh, specifically. Uh, around the issue of opposing the occupation and, and promoting uh, peace. And so I made this post. It got a lot of uh, reactions, uh, some positive, some negative. Um, and I decided that uh, I was going to open this, uh, this, uh, this student group. And uh, we, you know, I went around uh, collecting signatures. I got some people on board, people helping me right away. I actually, um, I, uh, this is how I uh, met Eden um, uh, outside the law building. Uh, just signing people up for the the student group, and you know, I got an opportunity to to um, to organize some some really interesting events, uh, left wing events on campus, uh, to meet members of Knesset, to be active in some campaigns, uh, both municipal campaigns for merits, uh, uh, primary campaigns, and obviously national uh, election campaigns. What really was was driving me um, most was. Uh, was uh, this kind of opposition, fundamental opposition to, to the occupation of um, the Palestinians. During that year, uh, 2018, I, I gave testimony 
um, about my service to Breaking the Silence, uh, did this long interview. Um, and uh, I, I felt at that time that, you know, I really wanted my experience um, to be shared broadly in, in Israeli uh, society. Um, and I knew that Breaking the Silence really was the, the address. So it was kind of like a natural progression um, for me to, to get involved with Breaking the Silence after that. So currently, you know, all of this culminates in uh, where you are now, which, as I understand, you're working for the organization Breaking the Silence. Um, is there anything that you'd like to share or, or that you can share with the work that you're doing there? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, this past uh, past uh, couple months has been uh, 2020 pretty uh, challenging. Um, we used to do a lot of tours right as I was getting started. We did a lot of tours, taking people to Hebron, taking people to the South Hebron Hills uh, to see and hear from former soldiers um, on their service in the occupied territories uh, in person with their own eyes. Um, and obviously that's not happening so much nowadays. Um, so we're doing a lot of virtual programming, uh, meeting with different groups, different youth movements. Um, I'm the diaspora um, coordinator. There are two other um, Israeli uh, coordinators um, focusing on the on Israeli society. Yeah, uh, you know we're we're always looking for opportunities to speak. So anyone listening is is, is welcome to to send me an email and uh, and we're basically we present kind of our our, our personal stories um, as testifiers and also we share testimonies from from the from the thousands of of testimonies that we've we've collected um, over the years since the second intifada. Um, just to kind of raise awareness and, and stimulate public debate uh, around the occupation. We have, you know, social media, Instagram, Twitter, uh, uh, Facebook. So um, I, if anyone, you know, is listening and, and is interested in, uh, in learning more and, and being active against the occupation, um, you know, I encourage them to do so. Uh, and thank you for, for listening. And thank you for having me. Uh, and Zaki, really uh, appreciate it. Yeah. So, I mean, we really appreciate you uh, coming on and, and speaking with us uh, and, and sharing your story and uh, kind of the experiences that you've had. Um, tell me, before we, we wrap up here, is there anything else uh, specific that you'd like to share with our listeners or you feel like you summed it all up? Um, well, um, yeah, thank you so much for for listening. If you if you made it made it to the end, um, and I didn't bore I didn't bore you, <laughs> uh, so thank you. Um, and um, if you are engaged in Israel uh, and interested in learning uh, in any way, I think that uh, the issue of the occupation um, I think is really the the most burning moral question for Israel, and and ending the occupation I think is is a of kind of paramount importance uh, in Israeli um, society. So I encourage you to, to learn more. Um, again, you're more than welcome to, to reach out to me um, and to schedule a conversation, um, but also just kind of read up and, and follow um, and um, make your own judgment about um, the, the moral cost of the occupation. Um, and, uh, you know, thank you. Fantastic. Um... All right. Well, thanks so much, uh, Bensi Sanders, for coming on and speaking with us about uh, all of this stuff. Um, it's been really enlightening. So thanks so much. Thank you so much, Zaki and Eden.
Speaking with Bensi shows just how much we can change over the course of a few years, from an outlook of total apathy towards Israel to a life dedicated to showing empathy to the people who live here. It's that kind of drastic change that makes waves of progress and moves everyone toward a more sensitive future. Thanks for listening. We're excited to keep the show going. If you have any suggestions for topics or people whose voices should be heard, drop us a line. You can send us a message on anchor.fm slash Israel underground. Israel Underground is written and produced by Eden and Zaki Farber-Hemmesi. All additional audio is used under Creative Commons. Thanks for listening. Thank you.